What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Live Life Aggressively podcast. Mike Marlis and Sarah Hogan. Our guest this week, our friend, Johnny Hines from Monkey Bar Gym. John, man, what's going on? Hey, Sincere. Hey, Mike. Uh, thanks yeah. for having me on, guys. We're trying to get things together when we start the show because it's always <laughs> a conversation that happens before the show that you guys end up missing before we start recording. It kind of just really either throws things off or they just really have us rolling. So I'm, I'm over here trying to compose myself. Cause I know. I, we, we, should, we, should have a, we should have an outtakes episode sincerely. I think we we're should... going to start doing that from now <laughs> in, fact, in fact, yesterday you and I had a good conversation after Roger Cross got off the phone, and then, and then all of a sudden I hear conversation being recorded or something like that. And I was like, I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I was like, we can't let any of that stuff get out there. <laughs> John, John is uh, actually a, a super well-known strength coach. He's been in the business for a while and his, his monkey bar system is badass. And yep. we wanted to talk to you about that a little bit, John, and then just get into what's new with you and, and so forth. And then uh, we, yeah. we know you've, you've actually been in the business for a long time and worked in many different arenas. You've worked with famous actors. You've worked with professional athletes. You know, you've built your own gym. You're franchising your gym. It's, uh, you have centers all over the world. So I think it would, be, it would be really interesting to hear about this whole journey you've taken, too, you know, how you got into fitness and how this whole thing started as well. Yeah, sure. I can tell you that. Um, I just got into it because um, at an early age, my dad started uh, – he, he made the uh, beaded jump rope and program back in 1973. So when I was about nine years old, I started jumping rope all the time. And I was fortunate enough uh, in that pro athletes really took to it. So when my dad would, he would meet all these pro basketball players, which I've always been a um, big time into ball. And so uh, I got to meet all these pro basketball players. And a few years later, he invents using tubing for working out, which the Russians had used a lot for doing plyometrics and sprint training. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he harnessed it in a way that you could do a full-body workout with it. And so I was about 12 years old at the time, and I would get to see Olympians, pro athletes again, using his tubing. So I started to mimic those type movements, and my athleticism really benefited a lot from it. And when I... Um, when I started to learn more about training and how to do it in a proper way, you know, and, and my body started to really react well to it, I uh, developed a way to train myself to jump high using the tubing to resist me. And within about a year and a half of really doing jump training with tubing, I got to, put, to the point where I could hit my head on the rim, and I had about a 47-inch vertical jump. Wow. For a guy 6'1", you don't see too many guys that can do – pretty much any dunk in the book. And um, so then I knew I had something interesting there. And I was about 19 years old at the time and about 5'10", five, 5'11", five, at the time. I was still growing. And th- that was about the time when personal training started. Uh, I was about 16 when I actually started training people, but there was no such thing as far as I knew. Mm. We're, ta- we're talking about 19... 19- Eighty when I was about 1979 when I was about 16 years old when I started actually training people I've been doing it for 34 years but when I was uh, about 19 is when I actually started personal training people and that's when people in LA had just basically gotten started like a year or two before that and so I've been I've been doing it a long time and so after I, I, I started realizing you know there's something to 
my training using body weight and using the bands that can really be amazing. So I, I did the same with my clients, and I got really great results, and I thought I should go out to L.A., and I got lucky to get in front of some pro athletes and make really amazing changes over an eight-week span with them. And then they asked me to work with the L.A. Clippers, and um, I got to do that for a while and uh, produce some really amazing results. And so then I got to work with pro baseball players and then Demi Moore, Woody Harrelson, um, Bruce Willis, uh, just tons of celebrities. Steve how, how did all that stuff come about, John? Was it just one thing led to another? You started working with the yeah. team and then you met a kid. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah it's, pretty, it's a, the, you know, the funny thing is people oftentimes think it's a big numbers game, but it, it's a, it, it's usually just one person that you, you change their life and they are your complete marketing team from one lady who is just a real simple housewife. And she, she trained with me and she did really great. She gets me Steve Gutenberg's wife. You know, his wife gets me Steve, that gets me Woody Harrelson, that gets me all these other actors. Right. And the same thing right. happened with me training pro athletes. My first athlete was, uh, um, if you're, you guys are too young to remember, but there was a big cocaine scandal in the NBA, and I got to train pretty much the main guy in the cocaine scandal, Grant Gondersick. He was my first athlete to hmm. train out in L.A., and hmm. he was washed up. His knees were bad. He was about, ooh, he was fat. He was about 28, 30% body fat. And um, he was all messed up, and he was about, for sure, he was on his way out. He wasn't going to play anymore in the NBA. But his career looked like it was over with. He couldn't even jump and touch the rim. And I got to train him, and in about 12 weeks, I got him. He had like an eight-pack. He was dunking like he, he had, hadn't dunked in a long time. His knees felt great. And that's what got the attention of other guys on the Clippers during the summer games. And that, you know, it's just one thing leads to another. But mm -hmm. the thing that I've always uh, been fortunate with is I got my foot in the door and I appreciated anything like the one housewife. I appreciated the hell of her and hustled. And same with Grant. I didn't know and, I, and nor did I care that he was, like, looked at as a bottom-of-the-barrel NBA player. I just looked at how I have an opportunity to make amazing changes and I always believed in myself, and great things happen from that. And is that is that when is that when cocaine came became part of your training philosophy? Was it after working with? <laughs> <laughs> Man, it like, people like no, it, no, it's gonna... incredible how ripped people get on it, huh? No, I mean that 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 explains why your box jump went so far up now. Now, now that would make that would make more sense. <laughs> that forty that forty seven inch vertical makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> man, is, is this coke? No, man, it's creatine, man. Calm down. It's creatine. <laughs> You're snorting a line of white stuff. Like, no, it's green tea. I, take it. I call this a Miami workout, baby. Get ready. <laughs> I, I think you bring up an important point, though, John, about how – because people are always thinking, like, there's some magic trick to work with celebrities, right? Like, if I just do this, then this will happen. And, and yeah. often, often it's from just serendipity being in your favor, right? It's like you work yeah. with one person, and that works out really well, and somehow that connects you somewhere else. And I think what it boils down to is focus on being an excellent trainer, right? Do the yeah. best job, no matter who it is, whether it's a housewife, yeah. a house cleaner, a, a guy who works at 7-Eleven, who cares? 
you do the best job with that person, like they're the only client you have, and then things are going to happen from there. And I think, I think people diminish that way too much and think that they need to go jogging in the Hollywood Hills or something, and then they'll run into somebody. Now you're, <laughs> you know? like, now you're just a stalker, okay? <laughs> I, I was just going to say, you guys have to know this, is that um, I would say a lot of trainers, though, out there, if they get like a Bruce Springsteen or Bruce Willis or Woody Harrelson, they almost get scared of them, so they always baby, you know, they, 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 they coddle them too much. Right, and right. that's one thing that from the time I started training, I, I really, I don't fucking care if, if you're super well-known or not. I want to I wanna get the best results for you no matter what. And I think that's one thing. And that people see that honesty and that sincerity and that passion come across and just treating them like everybody else. And that has, I think, has been, like, for example, my dad, that's been the key, key to his success. And for me, because I want the best for you, which is just true love, and um, that is what I'm going to give it no matter what. And I see a lot of trainers, they get somebody like that, and they get really scared, and they pull the reins back big time. Obviously, you don't ever want to hurt anybody. But, man, if you're passionate and you're honest and you, and you do things the right way, you get amazing results from them. And that's when those type of people, celebrities, athletes, or, you know, Hollywood type, they talk a lot then to their friends and stuff, and that's how you can get a crazy lineup because you make massive change with them. Right. Exactly, exactly. And I think a lot of times you have, um, like Mike was saying, you have these coaches that want to focus on the actors and so what they do. They, they start off and they want to say, I'm going to find an actor. I'm going to move to Hollywood. I'm going to just start a training business there, and I'm just going to get actors, and I'm going to get paid. I'm going to be rich. And I'm going to be a yeah. celebrity trainer, get my own TV show, reality show. <laughs> and they've already – they're screwed from the start because – They've already got these attachments, and they're already seeing this end result that's not even really possibly going to happen. And they end up getting disappointed. They get washed up. And like Mike and I always say, they end up in Home Depot. (laughs) (laughs) Home Home Depot. I think think the steerage run into a lot of people at Home Depot. It's always the example of of hitting rock bottom. It's like, yeah, you know, then the guy ends up at Home Depot. (laughs) Hey, man. All the guys from Home Depot are like, fuck you, (laughs) Sebastian. If I'm not buying my equipment from John in Lifeline USA, I'm going to make it at Home Depot, and that's what I run. (laughs) Just getting tons of friends today, (laughs) Every trader that failed out. I'm going to. I'm going to put a Home Depot outfit on next time I see Sincero. We're teach a workshop together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So no disrespect to the, the employees of Home Depot, except the ones that yeah. were trainers in the past and they're jaded. <laughs> and you, eh, I don't care. You can be mad. Be mad, man. But you know what? It is what it is. But, yeah, that's just what happens to these guys. They'll end up going out there and have their hopes and dreams. They're just set like, you know, this is going to blow up my career. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to – I'll end up like being the next trainer on The Biggest Loser and who – Dude, you're already starting. You got it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah those things those yeah. things happen as a side effect of other things done exactly. well. Exactly. Rather than rather than that's the target you're going after. <laughs> like exactly. I, I, I think also what people uh, we talked about this when we had Ashley Borden on is that mm-hmm. the, the celebrities are not going to be your bread and butter. You know, that's not going to be where you make. That's not going to be where you make all your money. I mean, it, it helps you in terms of notoriety and maybe more regular folks will want to work with you if they see testimonials from celebrities, but. Right. That that's not that's going to be the big benefit of that, rather than this is where you make your bread and butter. 
Yeah, yeah, and then also sure. you got to look at who you're calling a celebrity. It doesn't necessarily have to be an actor. It's like don't shortchange the local news person that you work with, or don't right. shortchange the person that works for, let's just say the it could be the pol- it could be the police chief or his daughter or someone like that. The, these guys people. they're connected as well. So it, those it, people it, it could be it could be the most well known stripper in town. For example, exactly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> have you it seen strippers the lately? <laughs> they're ripped. <laughs> from the 80s and the 70s anymore. These girls look like they should be fitness models now. A lot of times they are fitness models. So it could be the Thunder from Down Under guys. You know, it could be <laughs> exactly. the. <Chippen> guys. <laughs> so John, I like what you said about your dad too. Is that you, know, you treat people with respect and you're not intimidated and you're going to get their respect. And your you have a your dad has a great story about how I think he was on a he might have been on a plane or he somehow he he was interacting with some mafia guys and all of a sudden he was talking to them about his training system and then they all started buying product from him maybe you could tell (laughs) us that story (laughs) i'll tell you this is so funny but if you if mike you've met my dad he is sincere he's a and everybody else um listening he my dad is one of the most passionate dudes on the planet Uh, but he's also he's He's an oddball, you know, like some people that are that are really, you know, really focused on something. They're 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 looked at as sort of crazy, and my dad is definitely looked at like that. But he 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 loves it, and he's so passionate about it. What he does, he doesn't he doesn't see certain things. And so he grew up. He was homeless at eight, living on his own in the streets. He was in reform schools a lot. And uh, what happened was he basically would live with all these different Italian families in Kenosha. And when he came up to Boxhead, Wisconsin, he would go to different Italian families every single night of the week and have dinner with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is how he grew up. But he, he's a, he, he shows a lot of passion for what he does. And so when he goes to New York, he, he likes to hang out in Little Italy. And um, so one of his trips to New York, he was in this Italian joint in Lower Manhattan, and he doesn't know it's a it's sort of like a mob joint. He has no clue at all. And so he's in there. My, one of the things that my dad used to do back in the day, way before the internet, was he'd always carry his products with him, and he would hustle people because, like I said, he was on his own at eight. So he used to sign shoes and steal stuff and things like that to survive when he was a little boy. So he he really hasn't changed too much. He'll hustle the hell out of you to sell you one of his portable gyms, which he carries in a bag with him. Mm-hmm. So he's got like a whole bunch of them in his duffel bag, and he'll be in a bar, and he'll hustle and try and sell people his portable gym. So he's in this sort of mob bar, and he's hustling the bar patrons, and he's hustling, you know, the bar guy and um, bartender. And they're all buying them. They're all digging them. So who walks in? This one big guy, you, you can tell he's somebody, and there's two uh, henchmen sort of like hanging out with him. Mm-hmm. My dad doesn't skip a beat, goes right up to the guy. He goes, hey, 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 come here, come here. You got to check this out. You got to check this out. And so he, and the guy looks at the guy. The guy's on the side. We're about to grab him. But he goes, no, 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 it's all right. And uh, so um, my dad hooks him up with the bar and the cable, and he puts the stirrups on his feet. He goes, roll it up, roll it up. Start doing some bicep curls. Okay, unroll it. Put it overhead. Press it overhead. Press it overhead. And he gets them starting to work out with them, and he keeps looking at everybody in the bar, and they're laughing, and the bartender's laughing because they can't believe that my dad is, <laughs> like, pushing this guy. And 
so he's hustling, he's hustling, and the guy's like, okay, how, how many for like 20? And he goes, I'll give you a deal, only like 20 bucks each and stuff. And um, he goes, okay, I want a case of them. So the guy gives them some money, and they're going to buy them and stuff like that, and they become really great friends. My dad doesn't know anything else, except he, my dad gives him his car, and he finds out later the guy he was hustling on was John Gotti. <laughs> and, and he had no clue at the time, but that's what everybody in the bar was laughing about because, and why John Gotti was laughing too, because my dad was genuine. My dad was showing love for what he does, but also trying to help another man out, which is a gift. And everybody saw that, and it's really an amazing thing when you see a guy doing that, no matter if it's like my dad hustling and from the heart, from his heart, or you see somebody doing anything else that is true from their heart, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And I've seen my dad do this in other times, and at some part of me wants to laugh because he's such a goofball. <laughs> but other times I'm looking at him and I'm like, he's, he's fucking awesome. He's really fucking awesome dude because he, he's so passionate about what he does. And because of that, uh, John Gotti, you know, wrote my dad, and they actually became pen pals while he was in the joint, writing back oh, and wow. forth many wow. times. And it's it's pretty pretty interesting storyline that goes along with that. But not too many people have a story like that, except for my dad, huh? <laughs> like when gangs of New York meets fitness. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, I wonder. Man. I wonder. I wonder if they were impressed with the fact that your dad wears his pants up to his belly button. I wonder how much of a factor. That. <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 Since there, Mike's right. He, he, my dad. Everybody in our family messes with him because he he does like all old men. He pulls his pants up super high and. It, no, but you, but you know what? I, uh, your your dad's got a wicked left hook, man. So I'm not joking too much here. You know? <laughs> oh my god. Because there have been guys, there have been guys, yeah, there have been guys, yeah, there have been guys who messed with your dad who wish they didn't. So that's for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, he was. He's, he's how much? Badass. How much of it? I mean, obviously that was a big influence for you getting in the business. But was was that one of the things that really inspired you? Was looking at your dad's success and and because he wasn't necessarily a trainer, right? He was a guy who created no. a product line. So you you grew up with fitness and all that, but you didn't you didn't necessarily grow up with a with a dad who was a trainer, putting people through no. workouts and so forth. So no, where where did that. where did where did you get the inspiration for that? Yeah, I got that for just I've always been obsessed with jumping, and okay. when I was really young, sprinting and jumping have I've been obsessed with it when I was real little, and I wanted to dunk. That was my entire life purpose. I felt and. I saw a way by seeing these pro athletes, and I would kind of see, what are they doing? What are they doing? And jumping rope helps develop the feet and the knees and the hips and this quickness, et cetera. And then I see Eric Hyden, you know, he's running against it. He's doing lateral bounds against it. And then I'd see some other guys doing some various jump drills against it. And I thought, hey, I bet that can help me jumping. And so then I read some Russian plyo books, and I applied the two together. And I started with a 25-inch vertical jumping, and within two years I got it up to 47 inches. And that was from combining my dad's cables and um, just doing plyometrics with them. But that was all my own because of just massive desire to dunk. My dad, uh, he wasn't, he was off, he was gone a lot when I was growing up. But uh, I would get tools from him, and I would then see 
pictures of pro people using his tools. So he didn't necessarily coach me on anything except how to slip a punch and how to punch somebody, you know, from <laughs> right. boxing. But right. besides that, I, I basically just had to, on my own, figure out how to, how to jump right and how to resist jumping and how to continually evolve it. And then I thought, well, if it works for jumping, the same application has to work for pushing and pulling with the upper body as well, right? right. And that right. made a lot of sense, so I kept applying it. <clears throat> Next thing I know, I, I was performing some pretty high-level feats. And I thought, well, other people can use it too. So that's when I started training, and it worked well. well what, do you, what do you think are the big diff benefits of rubber resistance over weights, for example? And, and folks, when we say rubber resistance, we're not talking about condoms. You know, we're talking about <laughs> well, that's a different. if that little, little rubber has already been pulled out, then the resistance part has already gone to the trash, man. <laughs> That's a different type of resistance. Exactly. That That's <laughs> yeah. mental resistance. Um, <laughs> what's the difference that I feel is that it just, it, one, the portability is, is huge. Two, it gives you more horizontal resistance or diagonal resistance than you can get with a dead weight. Right. And three, the, the big one for me, which I have found, for example, with my power jumper, um, my power jumper is a tool I use for jump training, for vertical, for broad jumps, and for one-legged jump training. It, it is amazing. I mean, I've averaged eight inches in 10 weeks for the last 15 years with all my athletes on vertical jumps. And, 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 I, and one summer I said, I, I, don't, I don't really know exactly why, but the power jumper crushes using weight. But, and, and I couldn't put my finger on it back at the time. So one summer I, I didn't use my, my power jumper, and instead of averaging eight inches on vertical jump, we got three inches across the board, all my athletes. And then I had to think about it, what's the difference? And it was because when you're loading, when you're dropping into your jump and you're loading and you want that quick turnaround time, the force of the cable shortening, produces a, a really great load for your body and that turnaround what it does it quickens that turnaround uh, and it's a different totally different feel than you would get with a dead weight right. and that's one point but then the other fact is that i can literally jump exactly how i want to jump with the power jumper and with a dead weight it's hard to do that unless you got a weight vest but then it goes back to that you're not getting you're not getting that pulled down right. more with the weight and so there's a different feel for it. And that's the only thing I can, I can guesstimate on why the power jumper works so much better for jump training. You do box jumps with the power jumper on, or are you just doing just standing jumps? Oh, no, I always I, – I apply it to how you um, use it. So if you're um, okay. a two-legged jumper, you know, like a, a volleyball, how they do it, how they spike the ball, they approach jump. So I do the exact same thing to the rim with my power jumper. And I load it heavy with two bands, they rest, and then I load it with one band, then they rest, and then they have no bands. And by the time they have no bands on, they're going to feel like they're jumping, they're super light, and they pop off the ground right, really quick. Right. And that pop is the key to jumping high. The quicker you get off the ground is the key for speed and, of jumping and running. And so uh, it works on one leg, two leg, broad jumps, whatever. And that's what I've always stressed, but... There's many other factors that come with it, like working the technique and having a baseline of strength. But 
as far as when they start to jump, the, that using it in ap actual application just crushes anything else. I've never heard of another person who does jump training who averages nearly as much as I have been averaging for the last 15, 16 years with the power jumper. Yeah, that's incredible. Now, with also, I was I was curious with with the bands. Now, do, would you would you think there's benefits of doing body weight training, band training, and weight training? You know, mixing and matching all three. Because I know you use kettlebells as well. You're a big yeah. body weight training guy, like Sincere is as well. You know, Sincere matches mixes and matches things really well. I like to do the same, right. and I know that's your philosophy. So, how how did kettlebells become part of your overall picture? Well, yeah, just like you guys, I like to mix things in. Um, I, I, for the last couple of years, I was pretty much body weight and bands because I think push-ups, pull-ups, you can load the body and all jumps. You can load, ac accentuate it more with cables if you want, real easy. But for um, it, it's just nice to use a, a, a external load like a kettlebell for that shock that it, it causes to the body externally. And I think that's really healthy for us as well, for our bones and for our muscles and our joints and everything like that. So that's a big reason why I like to mix the two. And um, so I might devote one day body weight, one day mixture, and one day pure kettlebell, something like that, and um, a week of training. Uh, and that's how I like doing it. And it, that works quite well for myself and all my members at my month ride gyms. Yeah, as a matter of fact, John and I, you and Jessica, we all met for the first time as we were part of the first certified kettlebell teacher team for the IKFF back, what was that, 2008 in Chicago, man? Oh, that's it. That's right. That's we um, Steve Cotter. Yeah, and, Ken, uh, and our friend Ken Blackburn. Yeah. And, and, and Mr. Blackburn, well, correct. Yeah. Ken Blackburn, that was fun. So, yeah, that was that's really right, cool, right, you know, because I'd already followed, already followed your system prior to that just from the body weight training because I was always – I've always – been into bodyweight training, and it was really hard during that time period to really find key people that were really utilizing bodyweight training effectively online. So you would come up, there were situations where Steve would come up, and that was one of the reasons discovering Steve, probably like 2004, 2005 as well. And also, when I was looking up bodyweight and kettlebells, it was just kind of cool. And then, hey, there we were, man, sitting there training together and having our butts handed to us by Steve for a weekend. <laughs> but it was fun, man. Yep, and yeah, then and then, and then Sincere had his butt handed to him by you at Collision Course, John, when we were teaching oh, yeah. there. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why Sincere is where he is. He's had his butt handed to him many times. He's not afraid to have his butt handed to him. Hey, it's better to have your butt that's... handed to you than having your butt taken from you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We we won't we won't get it we won't we won't delve further into what that means. <laughs> yeah, I like how you cleaned it up because you say you were you were about to say we won't go into that. And I like how you yeah. stopped yourself. <laughs> we're not going to dive yeah. into that well and figure played, out what Mike. Well played. <laughs> Mike got me started back in kettlebells in two. Was it 2002 when we first met, Mike? Yeah, I think it was around 2003, and, and I, I, of course, knew you, and I, I was, I was been, I've been a fan of Lifeline products for a while, and then you and I started a nice dialogue by email. I think that was right. 2003, and then you came out to one of the RKCs when I, I used to be involved with that organization back in 2004, and, yeah. uh, and you were in my group, so we had a chance to network more and connect, and that, that was cool. Yeah, that was cool, and then I think, uh, again, in New York, you did a nice 
eight hours. Oh, that's time. right. That's right. I forget. Yeah, you came Destroyed to that course first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. And Harley Flanagan of the Chromatics was in that. Yeah. Was in that group. My friend Dylan Thomas was teaching with me. That was cool. Yeah, that was right. That's right. That's the first time we met in person. Was in that New York City course. Then you came to the RKC, and then uh, you and Jessica right. came out here to Vegas, and we worked together. Yeah, that was cool, man. Also, you know, one thing, Mike, one thing okay. that I'll never forget sure. from that seminar in New York was the amount of massive amount of meat eaters that we saw at that course, and their pains and ache and kidney problems and everything that they had. Remember? Yeah, that's what I wanted to get into next. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh that guy. <laughs> you were laughing oh when you God. saw that guy. He was in the elevator with us. You just looked at him laughing. You're like, man, look at this dude. <laughs> you know? Oh, my God. And he was, what was he taking, like three or 400 grams of animal protein a day? He was just taking, yeah, way too, I mean, he, he had some joint issues and some, some other things for sure from just way too much acidic environment in his diet. But that kind of brings me to the next question is that you've been on a vegan diet for a while, plant-based athlete. And what, right. what, what got you motivated to, to look into that, and, and what have been the benefits for you from making that transition? Yeah, um, and uh, I had always been on the typical fitness slash bodybuilder, uh, whatever that is, um, routine of eating, and, you know, your whey protein and whey protein bars and all that, and chicken breasts and rice and veggies and all that crap. I'd always eaten that way. Uh, in 2000, when I opened my first Monkey Bar gym, I, uh, was, I had to do a lot of the build-out. And part of it was smashing an 8 by 8 and 1 foot deep cement block. And to save 600 bucks, because uh, I, I had to do most of it myself, I had to smash it by the next morning. And so <clears throat> with a sledgehammer, and I, just, I just busted it down took many hours, but it cramped up my fingers. And doing, doing that in jiu-jitsu, you know, my, hand, my hands started hurting. And the next day I flew out to Los Angeles. I competed in a, in a world championship in, as a purple belt in jiu-jitsu, and I won, but my hand pain was pretty bad. And I was thinking it was just from the sledgehammer. And months go by and my hands don't get better year goes by, my hand pain's not better, and then two years, and I was like, okay, something's wrong with my hands. I go to four doctors. They all said, well, John, you're 40 years old. Uh, you got arthritis most likely. You know what? And that's just the name of the game. You're 40. Expect it. And, <laughs> and my answer, I looked at him, and I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. And I'm not kidding. This is what I said to him. I was like, are you fucking kidding? And he goes, no, that's the truth. And I was like, there's no fucking way this is the truth. No fucking way. And I walked out. And, uh, and just in my heart, I knew, well, I'm not a big fan of doctors anyways, unless it's an emergency of some type, because I think right. what they feed us is a bunch of bull. And um, so going in there, I was, that's how desperate I was to go to actually see doctors. But after getting the same fucking rhetoric again, uh, right. I was just like, fuck you. I'm out. And so, uh, Literally, the next day, uh, a friend of mine, uh, now he's a good friend of mine, but at the time I didn't know him at all. A guy calls me out of the blue to ask me questions about the power wheel. And I was about to blow him off because people just ask me questions all the time. And you have, as we've talked before, Mike, is that sometimes people let, want to tell you their life story and, and then say, <laughs> right. so what do you think? <laughs> like, what, do you, what do you want me to say, guy? I, I, I don't want to sit here and listen for 
20 minutes. And she goes, so what do you think? And, you know, I thought, this guy, this guy was actually interested. He goes, he goes, I love your power wheel, and I just wanted to tell you that. And I was like, well, that's cool. Okay. And then we just started talking, and he goes, so how's your health? I was like, oh, it's pretty good. Got a little hand pain, but it's from jiu-jitsu. And, oh, really? How long you had the hand pain? Oh, about two or three years. He goes, really? Do you eat a lot of animal products? I was like, well, of course. How else will I maintain my muscle mass? And he laughed. And then he said, uh, that's why you have hand pain. And I, and I was like, are you serious? And he goes, I am I'm, I'm helping write the book, The China Study, and I'm going to send you a pre-released version of the book. He sent me a very uh, a big time rough draft of the book because the book can come out for another year and a half. Right. He underlined all the parts about a, a diet that is more than 10% animal products and how it, it is the main reasoning for five of the biggest diseases that we have. And osteoarthritis is one of them. And where it shows up first is in your hands. And he underlined that for me, and I'm reading it and call him back, and I was like, so what, uh, what do I got to do? And he, I, I'm desperate. I mean, this is – I was getting to the point, you guys, where I could barely hold a bar to even do pull-ups because my hands would start shaking. I, I couldn't teach jiu-jitsu anymore. And, I mean, it, it sucked because I was a world champion. I'd won the Pan Ams. I'd won the world championship. And I was really, really good in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and then I had to stop completely because I couldn't even hold the gi anymore. So it really bummed me out, and I was ready to do anything. He said, stop eating animal products. So I said, okay, I'll do it. So I did that, and when I started out, there weren't any books on how to eat plant-based to be strong. There wasn't any Thrive book. There wasn't any China study book yet out. <clears throat> there wasn't any information. And uh, so... I didn't do it right. I think my diet was consisting of, like, cucumber sandwiches. And, uh, (laughs) you know, they were plants, but they were not strong plants. And so after a short time, I I was like, man, there's something right here. My hand pain's diminished. It's almost gone. It was only one month. But I don't feel as strong as I could be. So then I thought, I said, I I need to ask John. He told me, you got to eat stronger plants, foods. And And then I was like, hey. Mike. Mike's a good friend of mine. He's a vegan. He knows. And so I called you up, Mike, and, and you, hey, man, eat this, eat this, eat this, and you laid it down. And so I was like, that's it. I'm just eating weak foods. i got to eat strong foods. And, and then I also, um, I just, just started pounding strong foods, and immediately I felt better. And I had never, ever had to go back because I've gotten the same or higher levels of strength on Everything that I've ever done, the only thing I haven't matched from my best in my life is dunking. I can still dunk at 50 years old, but I don't. I can barely dunk now. I mean, I can dunk, but it's not nearly like what I used to. Besides right. that, with kettlebells, with bodyweight stuff, I'm at the same as my best ever or slightly higher. And so it, my life has gotten way better because of it the amount of people that I can positively influence from eating uh, plant-based has been incredible. And, Mike, I I owe you such a big thanks for coaching me on how to do it properly so that I I get my strength back. And one thing I always got to say to you is that you've always been real cool and helping me out anytime I had questions on it and stuff like that. You you always gave me really sound advice and stuff. But... um, 
And oh, my pleasure. It just helps me a lot, and to help myself, and then to help other people. That that's awesome. That's no, cool, and, 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 and it's, it's oh my pleasure, and it's part of your whole monkey bar gym philosophy, right? Because you have now it, it's not it's not a franchise, right? Is it more of a just a partnership when someone works no. when someone opens up one of your facilities? Right. Um, well, it's a um, it is a big part. We're the first plant based gym in the world. They have been so for ten years. Right. Uh, we right. we are licensed, so. We were going down the road of franchising. Uh, it's a lot of stuff, and one of the things that I realized is that I don't want to get that deep into, you know, obsessing about things like what you're doing or you're doing or you're doing. Right. Uh, but if, if you want to join me in what we're doing, you know, eating plant-based, training full body movement, and learning how to re- restore the body, blending our ice and yoga with the movements, you know, cool. I want to. I'll help you out and stuff like that. And then you can spread what we're doing in your neck of the woods. And if you want to be a monkey bar gym, cool. I'll help you do that. And that's worked amazingly well. And I, I'm very happy. Um, you know that we were able to help so many people. And now it's spreading and growing. We're on five different continents, and uh, things look really good. I'm real happy uh, about it. That's awesome. I mean, and you have gyms all over the world, right? Not just in the U.S. You have one in Australia. There's what other countries are you in? Well, we're in Japan, Sweden, uh, Canada. Uh, we'll have some in. Um, I don't know. I'm thinking uh, all over the U.S. Uh, well, oh my God, I'm gonna <laughs> play. No, because you're you're, you're you you actually yeah you actually travel quite a bit supporting your people in the field. So I know yeah. you're always on the road quite a bit. How do you, how do you stay healthy when traveling? Because I know that's a challenge a lot of our listeners have who who work for a living, traveling all over the place. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a big time challenge, especially when yeah, you go through a is. lot of different time zones. The yeah. thing that has helped Absolutely. me the most is to uh, really pay attention to my eating, stay the course on my eating, and don't just go and go off the bat, you know, eat crap. You know, just right. you, right. one thing I say a lot is, you know, just because it's plant-based doesn't mean you want to eat plant wrong. You want to eat plant strong, not plant right. wrong. And a lot of people, right. you know, like you, you, one of the first things that made me crack up about when I met you was you were like, you know, the typical vegetarian or quote-unquote vegan who has the greasy skin and oily hair and they look like shit. <laughs> don't want to be that. It, it, that sounds like, that, sounds that, like something I would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was one of the first things that I was like, I like this guy. He's fucking funny. And he's telling the truth. I love that. A lot, and, a lot of people uh, get pissed off when I talk. You know, you know what's funny about where, where I am is that, you know, I get meat eaters giving me flack. It's like, oh, come on, you should know better, right? And then I've got vegans giving me flack, like, oh, come on, you should know better. <laughs> you know? And, and it kind of cracks me up because I'm getting, like, almost the same not, – not from everyone. This is, like, a minority. You know, most, for, for the most part, if, if, you're, if you're physically strong, if you present yourself, well, you know what, guys, I'm going to have to let some deer take over for a second. <laughs> I got my dogs barking at the door, so I'll be right back in a second. I hear what he was saying right there, you know, presenting us. That's a big thing. I, I I know you walk the walk since here. Yeah, in one of those situations, I think, like Mike said, he catches flack from the mediators. He catches flack from vegans as well. I think what people need to understand is you've got to find what really works for you. And, yeah. you got, and you can't just do a guessing game. I was a victim of that. I did that once. You know, I felt like, okay, 
Maybe I need to cut back on eating meat, so let me just go ahead and go back to being a vegetarian again. I mean, in college, I was a vegetarian for a while because that's what my that's what my financial situation told me I had to do. Taco Bell, bean burritos all day long because they were so damn yeah. cheap. So, yeah. but then what I you know come to realize like okay, well again I was eating plant wrong as John, as John was saying. So yeah. went back to eating meat, but then again like John kind of mixed. To then with that bodybuilder way of eating, so it was just grilled chicken breast, broccoli, asparagus, and brown rice all the freaking time. So there was no variety. Yeah. So the big mistake right there is you don't have a variety of nutrients going on right there. And eventually your yeah. body's going to say, screw this. This is not going to work. Didn't necessarily have, like, the joint issues and all that, but then just something said, you know what, let me just try to go back to being vegetarian again. And this time I did it right. Really started listening to a lot of things that Michael said and just applying that more toward a vegetarian lifestyle in comparison to a vegan lifestyle. And was good for about a good about three years but about three and a half years in I started especially when my training really got intense really started noticing some things weren't going the way they did before my training was pretty much more based around body weight training a little like kettlebell training and everything from there so once I got into kettlebell sport and the intensity was happening more you know every other day with my training I noticed that my recovery started to really really suck and deep down inside I knew certain things weren't working for my body but, of course, I'm thinking, like, well, you know what? I'm not eating meat. I got to get protein. I need to eat my legumes. I need to have this. I need to have some brown rice. Eventually, listening to one of Mike's lectures, just really started listening about getting a full panel hormone test. When did that, and once I did that, and just like you, I'm just not a big fan of just the, the general practitioners or regular doctors out there. I went to, a, I went to my, my naturopath, and once I got my full 24-hour urine test back, man, it was obvious, like, for my genetic type, for my, my biology, I wasn't doing myself a full service. Now, it wasn't like he was saying, you know, go back to just eat meat 24-7, like, like the guy you were talking about in New York. Again, I had to come back to that balance. And yeah. that's pretty much where I've been at. Now, it's just the opposite of what John did when he switched over to a plant-based diet. Now that i got some balance, I actually know what I'm doing. I had the same results. Well, I, my results now lifting strong way stronger than I was, even during the first meat-eating phase and with the last vegetarian phase. Mike and I talk about this all the time. Who's to say 10 years from now, I go take another panel, and it says, you know what, you need to just take it all out, take meat out completely. So that's yeah. what one thing about it. As we get older and we start to evolve, things start to happen. Again, people just really need to be very informed and not just try to make it a guessing game. One thing, what I like about you, Sincere, though, is that you're, you're, you're actually going to – you actually try stuff out. You educate yourself on things. If things don't work, you're not going to just say, well, uh, I'm just going to keep well, doing it anyway. Supposed to be, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're, well, so you're, well, you're, you're clever, and you're, you're, you're willing to find your own path. And I think that's yeah. the, really the best advice I try to give other people is that, yeah. you know, what I do is not necessarily going to work perfectly for you. So what you're going to have to do is experiment. I'll give you a bunch of concepts, start there, and then you're, you're going to have to modify as you go along because no, no one knows what you're feeling except you. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I, I could say, look, this is how you should feel on this. And then, I mean, I could say, this is how I feel doing what I do. Right. And then someone else could do the exact same thing. They're going, man, I'm not feeling that at all. And maybe exactly. it's because you haven't given your time, you haven't given your body time to adapt to the foods. Maybe because it's just not a fit. Maybe because certain things that work great for me are not going to work great for you. So, I think you, you want to start with sound concepts and then modify them there. Like, for example, the China study that John brought up, you know, that, that's a very low protein, not just animal protein, but it's a very low protein in general, low fat diet and very high carbohydrate. 
I can tell you for a fact that if I eat that way, I will be a blubber man. I mean, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna put off body fat like there's no tomorrow because yeah. I don't I'm not I'm not a guy who who metabolizes carbohydrates extremely well. Yeah. yeah, my brother my brother can eat carbs all day long. He won't put on any body fat. Now I eat a lot of carbs and I'm gonna have a gut the next day. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, that's, I mean, that's so I, funny. That's what my, my like my my middle son. I mean, dude is six two. He's probably about 145 if he's lucky. I'll, I'll give him 155 <laughs> because he might be listening and he doesn't want to be embarrassed. But let me tell you, I, his nickname, I call him Starchy Archie because this boy can go through some carbs like there's nothing. And, he, and he's good. Now, my oldest son, not so much. He's very much like me. It's just like, okay, he needs a little bit more protein and, and less carbs, and he's okay. And with my daughter, she's kind of right there in that, that, that carbohydrate purgatory. Whereas if she right. does a little too much, she can be bloated. If she doesn't get enough, she like she's withering away. It's just funny how genetics works like that. And I've seen the same thing that happened with my wife and her sister. Same thing. If you just, if my wife just smells bread, she's going to get bloated. My sister, <laughs> <laughs> my sister can eat it all day and she'll be okay, but she's, she's a savage because she loves meat. <laughs> so right. it's just so crazy. And, again, genetics is so funny like that. So you have to find out where you are. But here's the beautiful thing. From the things that I've learned from Mike, the things I've learned from John, things I learned from my first round of just like the bodybuilder experience of, of eating to my last round of vegetarian experience, I got great things and great tools that I learned from all those experiences. And guess what? It's not like I abandoned any of those. Like all the great things, I brought those along with me to how I'm yeah, eating now. Yeah. And that's how you should do with your training. That's how you should do yeah. with your business. It's like, look, man, just like Bruce Lee said, you know, you know take what's useful, man, and what's yeah. not. Kick it to the curb, and that's yeah. what's happened. So there are some days where I'm like, I don't want any meat whatsoever. I'm actually going to chill out today, and you know what? My digestive system can appreciate that. So the thing about, it's something about being flexible and not just being so dogmatic and thinking that this is the only way. And yeah. that, I think that's where a lot of people get in trouble, and they get in very unhealthy situations because they're trying to follow someone else's path that necessarily may not work for them. So they have people, to find people out. get people get way too dogmatic, and I see it on on all facets. Oh my of, gosh! Of, yeah. of diets, right? It's like a religion exactly. where there's a really good doctor called Nick Nick Doctor Nick Delgado, who's very well versed in hormone optimization, et cetera, and mm-hmm. he follows a diet that that's heavily plant based, plant strong, as John would call it. So basically, one day out of the week, he'll have some meat, right? He'll have some right. steak or whatever he wants. Every other day, he's eating pretty much a vegan diet. Now, I've, I've heard other people say, well, he's not really a vegan, though, because he does that. I was like, well, he's not saying he is, number one, and who cares anyway? That's what, right. works. That's what works for him. So six days out of the week, he's not contributing to any animal suffering, the arguments that these people are very strongly uh, bringing up. And then one day out of the week, he finds this is what works best for him. Or maybe that's what helps him. Maybe that's just what he – maybe that's a reward for him. I mean, who, who cares what the reason is? You know, bottom line is he found what works for him, and he, he does encourage a plant-strong diet like what John's talking about, and he does have a lot of clients who do 100% vegan because it helps them with certain health issues, and then when those are resolved, they can loosen up a little bit. And I, I think it's all great. You know, it, it's, it's, what, it's what's working for him. It's what's working for other people. I think, I think the universal rules are is that you have to find the highest quality food. There you go. Whatever, yeah. no matter what it is. And I think we can all agree that factory farming is bad and should be abolished, right? I mean, there's, exactly. uh, there's, no, there's, there's no meat eater who's educated on, on the nutrition properly who's like, oh, yeah, factory farming is great. I think it's good stuff. I think it's putting out a great product. You know, it, It's bad for the animal. If the animal's unhealthy and you eat that animal, that's going to be bad for you. You know, There's nothing good that comes out of it. The only, the only people it's helping are the, 
corporations that own you know these factory yeah. farms that are making a very low quality product and making a high profit basically diluting the consumer you know the consumer wants to believe that when they go to the grocery store and what's there is a high quality product right and yeah. the reality is it's not that simple anymore you know exactly. years ago years ago it was that simple you go to the store and yeah you were getting a high quality product now whether it's vegetarian or meat or whatever it is a lot of, most of the stuff you see in the store is garbage, and you exactly. really have to use discerning skills to find good quality stuff. Same thing with, with plants. It's like there's nothing great about having a plant that's full of pesticides. Right. I mean, like, dude, it's created, to kill a, it's, it's created to kill insects. So right. what right. makes you feel like you're so much better? So, again, <laughs> it just comes down to having high-quality food in both cases. And when you start right there, then I think pretty much the argument can – you can just stop because I'm thinking you, you're misplacing your energy at that point. How about using that energy to get better quality food and band together? Because guess what? At the end of the day, while you're trying to be separate, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm all about vegans or I'm all about being paleo or this. At the end of the day, you're fighting an enemy that's not your enemy. Because <laughs> the real right. enemy is just those corporations sitting back laughing at you like, anyway, yes, get, exactly. you keep fighting, we'll get your money, and hopefully you'll wipe each other out before we do so we won't get the blame for it. Yeah, it's, it's like a, it's a total misdirection. You're putting the focus exactly. on the wrong things, like similar to what we were talking about with uh, Roger Cross yesterday about you know, some of his acting experiences. Is people get distracted with, with the wrong focus. And I think, I, th- I think one thing that helps the three of us and, and really any, any, anyone in our industry is that Often, uh, my friend Ori Hoffmeckler has to say, you know, what you see is what you get. And that's often true in our industry. And what I mean by that is if, if you walk in the room and, you know, you're some big fat guy and, then, and you're talking about how to be lean and mean and how to eat properly, you know, we're gonna, anyone looking at you is going to say, I'm not buying it. You know, the advice may be good, but we know that you're not practicing it. Like, hey, buddy, and, how's that but, working out for you? <laughs> yeah, and then on, on the alternative, though, it's like John, John's a big, strong guy. Sincere, you're a big, strong guy. You know, I'm a strong guy. So, I mean, we, the three of us walk in the room. No one's going to be like, well, the, those guys don't look healthy, or I, I don't know if I should trust what they're saying because the results are there. You start picking up heavy kettlebells and throwing them around, people are like, whoa, he's doing something right. So I think, I think what's cool about being in the fitness game is that because all of us work out hard, it's very easy to discern whether something is working or not. You know, I could say all day long, oh, this is great, and then I'm getting weaker every week in the, in the gym, then obviously it's not working. And at the same time, if, I'm, if I say, look, I've got things dialed in, and people are like, no, I don't believe it, but I'm getting stronger every week and every year, then you know, how do you argue with that? So that, that's the best. That's why I don't really like nutrition advice from people who don't train. And that might, that might sound a little dogmatic, but, because, oh because, but because the reason why I say that is because training is such a good way to determine whether what they're saying yeah. is working or not. Exactly. You know, if they're not training, then it's like, well, look, how do we know that this is working at all? Exactly. And I know this Can is going to piss some people off. This is going to piss some people off on a set. I, I even hate it when I hear all these nutritionists give advice because a lot of times they don't even train. So I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing to back up what you're saying or what you're trying to prescribe for someone out there? And, and they're quick to tell someone like us, you know, you're not at liberty to give out nutritional advice. Well, I'm looking at you, and, I mean, you're frail. You're not looking the best. Your skin looks a little dry. Who are you yeah. to be giving out nutrition advice just because you went and got a degree? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I know you're going to piss people off, but you know what? That? It goes back to the fat doctor. Don't, tell, don't sit there and tell me, you know what? You need to, you need to do some diet and exercise. Why? He's got a freaking gut, and he smells of cigarettes. So yeah. I'm not trying to hear you, dude. John, you wanted to jump in? Yeah, it's just that what you guys are right on the money. I mean, how often do we, especially like in the plant-based world, I, I can't stand seeing books come out by Miss Vegan, vegetarian, or whatever the <laughs> fuck we want to call it, 
you know, you got to find your own path. If it's more plants, awesome. You know, and you're killing less animals, great. But you got to find what works for you. That's the big thing that I promote at my gym. But one thing that I always stress is you've got to walk the walk because what we right. are trying to do is we are trying to make the planet better, make ourselves better, help other people become better, and in doing so we make the planet better by consuming more planets instead of more, I mean, healthy and, and good food plants, but instead of eating so much animal products. But what fucking drives me crazy is seeing so-called nutritionists or experts just what you guys are saying, they don't train and they look like crap trying to get other people then to buy into what they're doing? Are you fucking kidding me? That's so absurd, it makes me sick. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, like, it's, it's like you're having, you're having Cheerios and Danny yogurt for breakfast. And, you know, <laughs> you, got, you got a glass of orange juice, pure sugar to wash that down. And then, you know, you're, yeah. like, you're, like, you're like this insulin-resistant insulin machine <laughs> going throughout the day. And then you're like, this is how you should eat. And that, that's the great thing about, you know, physique composition or training is that, that I mean, they, they kind of, the buck kind of stops there, doesn't it? I mean, so if you're basically yeah. saying – Hey, this will get you bigger and stronger, and, and the guy looks like he's never worked out his life. That it's, it's not going to make me too confident to follow that advice. No. And but you know, to contrast that, just because someone is is strong and looks fit doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that they know anything about nutrition either. So I'm not yeah, saying no. that, yeah, exactly. I'm not saying that you should find the ripped guy at the gym and be like, hey, what are you doing? Because that guy may look that way just because of genetics more than anything else. Yeah. You know, it doesn't. Or he might, be, he might be sticking some things in his ass and drinking protein shakes like that. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's not, it's not as simple as, like, what Ori likes to say. Is that worse I wouldn't know anything that about that, man. I don't stick. <laughs> hey, this says exit only, John. Okay, there's no. <laughs> yeah, sincere, sincere won't even get a prostate exam when he goes for <laughs> exactly. a checkup. I'm like, no, I'll just, look, I'll just keep taking my saw palmetto, and I'll just look for a chance. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, I'm, taking, I'm taking stinging nettle roots. Uh, you exactly. know, I'm taking coconut oil is good for the prostate. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'll take my yeah. chances. Yeah. <laughs> I just keep eating blueberries. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know what? It, it, it'd be funny. Like, why don't we have people arguing for sleep the way they argue about their food and their workouts, man? Like, where's the guy that's arguing about seven hours of sleep against the guy that's arguing for nine hours of sleep? Because that's the one thing that they're leaving out about being healthy. Everybody talks about the, their workout. Everybody talks about their yeah. food. Nobody's arguing for sleep. Nobody's arguing for not being with a person that gets on your freaking nerves and raises your Absolutely. stress level. Nobody's arguing about your yeah. crappy job. You know, nobody's yeah. doing that. So we're arguing about it. the wrong things. You're leaving out the most important components. And these other things are so minute. Yeah, they're major, but they're minute at the same time because yeah. they're not the only players in the game. Food and exercise are not the only players in the game. No, it's just those no. two players in the game are the ones they've made, people made billions of dollars off of. Yeah. No one's making a billion dollars off sleep. Okay. No, it's uh, like, uh, except for Xanax. Kind of like training right. is like a chair, right? Like a chair has four legs and one chair is nutrition. One chair is training and fitness. The other chair is your sleep. And then the other, the other leg rather not chair. The other leg is you know, you, the, the quality of your life. You know, what are you doing for a living? The kind of people that are in your life, you know, the community support, et cetera, because it makes, it always yeah. makes me think of, the first chapter in this book, Outliers, where it talks about this this community in Italy, yeah. where where it's like a small town in Italy where everyone is really healthy, right? Like they had no incidents of heart disease, uh, none of that stuff. So so people automatically assume that their diet's got to be impeccable. They're like, oh, let's take it, let's take a look at what their diet's doing because I bet we could write a book about it, you know, another right. diet book. 
And then they looked at their diet, and it was like a lot of oils, a lot of pasta, a lot of stuff that we wouldn't necessarily consider healthy at all. But what they determined is that what this community has is very strong support, meaning that if you're a guy who's depressed, the whole community is going to get behind you. Like, what's, yeah. what's wrong with you? What can we do to help you out? So no one's depressed. You know, it doesn't even happen out there. Because you know you're not alone, and that's a good feeling. You know, it, it's a terrible feeling when you're trying to do something and you feel totally isolated. And oh, yeah. there, there are times where we all, we all have to do it, right? You're out and about on your own making stuff happen. But, it, but it, it's not a fun feeling when you feel like no one believes in you at all and no one's supporting you at all, and it's all on you to try to make something happen. You know, it, it's, it's virtually impossible to make something happen when you're in that, and only a very, very exceptional person is going to persevere through all that. But what this, what this community showed, though, is that nutrition and all that is a couple, it's a couple of lines lower on the list than number one. All right, let's put it that way. It's not number one. It's not number two. It may be number three or number four. But number one is, you know, what, what's the quality of your life? How happy are you? And I think, yeah. I think that's why we always stress it, it, you've you got to find something you're really passionate about and figure out how to turn that into a career because life is long. It's going to be a lot longer than a lot of us like to think. Now, a, lot, a lot of us, people always say life is short, but if you do something you hate, it's not going to feel short. It's going to feel long until you get to the very end, and then you're going to be like, man, you know, <laughs> I don't have much time left. And, uh, I'm looking back now, and it's, it's, I'm not liking what I'm seeing. And, and you, know, you don't want to be that person. So it's critical that you, know, you take the reins, you take charge of your life, and, and, then, and then you're going to be so glad you did when you turn it all around and make it happen. You're going to look back on, on your previous life of just doing jobs you didn't like and so forth, or being in bad relationships that you couldn't stand and be like, what was I thinking? Even tolerating that for a day. Right. And, and here's the kicker. Now someone's probably listening right now. We're like, look at the Fuji. That, that can also determine your happiness and how you feel as well. And if you're eating the wrong food, then yeah, no it'll make you feel bad. But no on the flip side of that, if all you do is stress out about, yeah. am I eating healthy? Is this a good food? Is this organic? Is this the right kind of food? Is this vegan? Am I doing this? What's on the menu? Blah, blah, blah. If you're stressing out about what you're eating, even if you're trying to eat something healthy, then you're no better than a person that's eating crappy food. So guess what? Once again, there is no separation between the two. You both are arguing about something that makes no sense because you're both in the same situation. Right. Going back to that community that Malcolm Gladwell was talking about, their focus was happiness. And my thing is, when you focus on happiness, Everything else is going to be a byproduct of that. You're going to be happy with the food you eat. You're going to happily work together and build things. Use your hands. Build a community. You're going to happily build a business. You're going to happily hang out with your friends and spend time by yourself, meditate, all that. That's when happiness is your focus, everything else will fall into place. Yeah, you're not going to waste time being distracted by things that are probably not going to make you happy, such exactly. as getting a bleached a-hole, for example. <laughs> you, know, you know that was coming. <laughs> I mean, how happy is that going to make you? Not really that happy. So is it, is it worth trouble? This is an inside joke we have, John. John John's like old silence. John's like, what are these guys talking about, man? <laughs> it's like a, kind of a reoccurring inside joke we have here. But in this case, literally. <laughs> No, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's so true. I mean, uh, on one hand, we don't want to simplify things and say, you know, you can just eat Lucky Charms every day and be happy because you, you won't. <laughs> You're going to get this sugar high and low that's going to make you totally depressed. And, and there was a study which showed that, you know, people in poorer environments, like in the U.S., eat so much sugar that it, it basically drives you mad. You know, it makes you depressed and anxiety-driven and, and angry. And this is not hard to believe. You know, someone well, who's on a really crappy diet, that's going to affect your mood severely your brain neurotransmitters all that let's look at our poorest neighborhoods and start right there 
And then yeah. before we start trying to put it on their economic status or just saying that, be very general, like, well, they're just that way. Let's also look, okay, right. what, right. what are their diet like? You know, what are their finances like? What is, yeah. what is their home life like? You know, is the parent struggling? Is the parent not even there because they're working four or five jobs? So, therefore, the kids are left to raise themselves. Well, guess what happens when the kids are left to raise themselves while the parent's working all day? Those kids are going to eat whatever's there and what's convenient. So, they're not probably going to be in a position where they can cook. They're going to sit there and have boxes of cereal all day long until the parent gets there. Or they're making sandwiches or something like that. Now, you've got high sugar, high insulin. You got bigger chances of diabetes and also especially being determined with those genetics. So they may be more predetermined to have diabetes as well from their family's background. So you have all these different things. Again, the sugar can make you mad. Not trying to sit here and we're not going to bash sugar because sugar is a good thing when it's used in the right way. But an overabundance of it. You have all these different situations. Then you factor in also the sociological aspect that there is no one here with these kids at the same time. They're not being active. They don't have anything constructive or any kind of activities, extracurricular activities that they could be participating in because the parent's not there and probably can't afford those activities. Well, guess what? Now they're eating crap. They're left on their own. They have a lot of time to themselves. They got to get creative with that time because they're kids. They have a lot of energy, even if they are feeling a little low in energy from the food they're eating. Well, next thing you know, they're going out doing crazy crap and they're doing crime and it's crime rates going up. So it's not, again, it's not a either or situation. There's so many factors they go into that. And a lot no, of it's, it's so true. It, it's more complex. And let, let's also be honest, you know, how well are people doing in wealthy neighborhoods with their diet? Yeah, exactly. Not, not very well. I mean, I live in a nice neighborhood and, and, and I drive by the school every day to go to the gym and it's, it's, it's like 30%, 40% are obese. And these are just exactly. like an elementary school. Go back in history, the only fat people were the wealthy people. Because right, they right. would just sit on their asses all day and eat all the damn Well, time. if you go to other countries, it's the same thing. You go to Kenya, you go to India and so forth. No one is overweight yeah. except for the wealthy there. Right. You, know, you can't afford to get overweight if you wanted to. That would be like a problem somebody would strive to have. It's almost looked like as a badge of honor. Like, wow, you know, look how much weight she has or him. He yeah. must be doing really well. You know, that, that's often what, like, the poor people think is, like, when someone starts putting on weight, they're like, wow, he's really making it. You know, he's successful right. now. You know, so, <laughs> made it. You got diabetes. You made it, man. <laughs> yeah, you got heart disease. Oh man. my God, I got diabetes. I'm rich, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> didn't they? Didn't they back in the day, like in the dark time, um, medieval times and stuff like that? There was a term for like the royalty when they would get obese and get sick. I can't remember what the name of the term is, but it was basically um, when they because they could eat so much that they would get sick eventually from some disease, one of the major five or six, and then um, they, they started calling it the disease of the wealthy. I can't yeah. remember the term of it, but... Uh. I, think, well, I think they were called the Flatulence Club. <laughs> the Flatulence Club. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I know, I, think, I, think I, yeah. I, I, know, I know what you're talking about, John. I've seen that phrase before, but I, yeah, I, I but can't... It's, still, it's still going on today. Yeah. <laughs> well, now, now the problem is, is that is, is food and the wrong kind of food in particular is so readily available so that there's no way that the average person is going gonna, is gonna to have their activity level higher and outrun those calories. You know what I mean? They're eating Dunkin' Donuts. They're eating snacks here. And then a lot of people don't think about the foods they're eating. They'll often, like if you ask someone to keep a journal of the food they're eating each day, they will either purposely not put a lot of stuff there or they literally just forgot about all that junk they had in between meals because they're just mindlessly eating it, right? They're not mindful at all. Like, oh, yeah, I had some Oreo cookies in between lunch and dinner, but they're not remembering that they had that. 
So it's like all, all of these useless calories. And these are not calories your body's going to use for anything useful. It's going to go, your body's going to eat these Oreo cookies, and then it's, it's pure sugar, it's pure chemical additive. So it's going to push it immediately into stored body fat to keep it away from your vital organs. Nothing useful is going to come out of that. It's not like it's going to fuel you, fuel you for your next workout or give you brain energy for that conference call. <laughs> you know? So there's so much consumption of worthless calories that do you no good, and it doesn't matter what your activity level is. You're not going to stay right. on top of that, and most people's activity yeah. level is very low in addition to that, so then it becomes a catch-22. Yeah, and John, I think the, what you were looking for, I think it was called diseases of, of affluence. Affluence, that's it. Yeah. Diseases of affluence. Yeah, yeah right, wait a minute, right, Mike, right. Mike, by the way, you're trying to tell me that those 100-calorie cookie packs, that they're not going to work for me, but they're only 100 calories. <laughs> Why are you hanging on the 100-calorie snack pack, man? It might be fun. It might be good after you run a marathon. You need some quick sugar. <laughs> Something like that might be good. Yeah, it's, well, it's, haven't, it's, haven't you guys seen guys that are trainers? I, I was talking to one. There's, there's so many of those things that you can put on your arms now and see your calo- caloric expenditure for the oh day. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, body bug and stuff. And I was talking to a trainer once. And I said, so you're honestly saying that it doesn't make a difference what I eat as long as I eat under the calories that I expend. And I, and I was like, you're, that's insane. That's so insane what you're promoting. It's so unhealthy. No, it, it's ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, the, the opposite, I mean, people put way too much focus on calories. And I remember I was giving yeah. a lecture, giving a lecture in Holland, and I was talking about how calories don't matter anywhere near as much as you think they do, especially when you make the right food choices, because I could put someone on a diet of 3,000 calories and another person on a diet of 3,000 calories. Person A has a nice balance of good proteins, low glycemic carbs, good fats, essential fatty acids, et cetera. Person B is just eating sugar and other garbage, right? So it's the same exact calorie number of calories per day. Obviously, person A is going to have much better results, much better physique, composition, health, and so forth. So then, and then, and then someone argued with me, like, oh, you know, you can't say that calories don't matter because they do and so forth. And I wasn't trying to say that calories don't matter at all. I was trying to say that they don't matter as much when you make better food choices. And I think the, the problem with focusing on calories is it gives you the illusion, what you just said, John, it gives you the illusion that as long as I stay, stay below this threshold, I can eat whatever I want and do fine. And that is where a lot of people get into trouble. You can actually eat more of the right foods and lose body fat than eating less of the wrong foods. And that, that's hard for a lot of people to, to get their head around because of, of so much bad information that's been pushed in there. Yeah, I think what's happening right now is this new trend that's going on online. It's this new program pretty much, if it fits your macros. And that's where everybody's going like, well, if my body at this weight calls for this many calories a day, then I can eat this and I can eat that. And what they're doing is they're trying to simplify something and they're getting it all wrong. Let's just say for you to lose, I don't know, five pounds, which is just an estimate. That kills me when it says, like, if you, have, if you eat 2,500 calories, you can, that's what you're going to need to maintain a body weight of this, this, and this. But <laughs> if you take out 300 calories from there, then you can lose up to the two pounds a week, blah, 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 blah. And it's all the simplifying. So now people have jumped on the bandwagon of if it fits your macros and, well, yeah, man, I'm going to have chocolate cake and this, this, and this. As long as I get 2,500 calories in, I'm going to be good. And then, you know, I can go work out and, you know, I can get ripped. Are you serious, dude? Yeah. Look at that chocolate cake you're eating. And first of all, you're probably, if it's Duncan Hines, I mean, you got hydrogenated oils, you got all this other crap. Well, I put some protein powder in it. Like, that's going to justify anything. Let's look at the quality, <laughs> of, your pro- look at the quality of your protein powder, too. So it's not yeah. like that made it any better. 
Yeah. Like I said, I've seen that. I've seen this trend a lot, and I've seen these forums and seen these little Facebook groups. Actually, just to kind of just get an idea of what they were doing, I actually got in one of those Facebook groups just to see what these people are saying. I'm just like, wow, is this what it's come down to now? And what really sucks about this is that so many kids and teenagers are also coming across this information right now. Pretty much they're getting prepped and ready to have all types of eating disorders by following yeah. these type of diets because they well, think they're going to get ripped because they always see these memes. And it's funny, these same kids have now become old adult kids. They're 30, 40, 50 years old, feeling crappy about their body, and they're posting these little memes every day and with all the inspirational quotes or whatever, and they, they're having all these body issues by looking at this. So they look at the fitness model, they'll look at the, the bodybuilder or somebody that's all ripped and lean, and they're making themselves feel real shitty about themselves by posting this, even though they feel like they're being inspirational by sharing it with all their friends. At the end of the day, they're projecting pretty much how they feel about their bodies, and they think that this picture is a healthy person. We don't know what the real truth behind that picture is. When you put that picture of the fitness model up, we don't know if she's healthy. We don't know what yeah. she's taking and what she's not eating, and if she's yeah. on a water diet. And also, we don't know what she did leading up to that photo shoot. And so, I can tell you... <laughs> Yeah, no, we all can tell you. Yeah, you know, a lot, a lot of fitness models are, are not even remotely healthy. Like, well, it, it's a, sometimes, sometimes I've had female fitness competitors come to me after a competition because they put on an alarming amount of body fat in like a week or two, right. and they don't know what to do because their hormones are totally out of whack. And that's the missing link that a lot of people don't think about is what is the hormonal impact of the food you're eating? And that, that's why I always emphasize this hormone optimization stuff so much because it, it's, it, it allows you to get way more scientific about what you're eating here and how things are affecting you. If you, if you, if you look at what is the hormonal impact of whatever meal you're having, it's going to allow you to make much better choices and assess whether things are working or not because you're looking at how things affect your brain chemistry and your testosterone levels and your estrogen, your progesterone, growth hormone, all of these things. So it allows you to get things dialed in much more so in and feel better, get better results, et cetera. But what happens with a lot of these fitness competitors is that their hormones are totally out of whack from all of the deprivation, different drugs they're taking, and so forth over the period of a competition, and that when they finally get off of that, their body is thinking, man, any calorie we consume, we're going to hold on to, like there's no tomorrow, because who knows when we're going to go back into that starvation state. They're taking their body to a totally unnatural realm where there's no way they can maintain it. And then when they, when they loosen things up, forget about just lo- putting on a little bit of body fat. You're going to put it on like there's no tomorrow. And I, I've talked to several fitness competitors where when you see what they look like, let's say a few months after a competition, it's hard to believe that they were ever fitness competitors. That they, don't, they, don't, they don't look remotely like that. You look at the photos, you're like, that's you? Because, I mean, they just took it too far. And then, you know, Kim Blackburn had a funny story about how he was at the, I think it was Mr. Olympia or might have been the Arnold where Arnold. he admitted. Yeah, he and Mitch just did a demo. They're, they're walking backstage. They're, they're, they're cutting corners backstage to get out. And then they, they walk by these, like a group of fitness competitors, like five of them sitting in a circle that were just like ravenously going through a pizza each, you know, like a bunch of wolves. They're just plowing through that whole thing. And they're like, oh, boy, this is a picture right here. Man. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, that, that, that's why it also I think it's important to emphasize that what you see is, is what you get. That's, saying, that's not always the case either. No, I mean, so it's, it's when you see someone who's ripped and so forth and they look like they're, they're the epitome of health, they very, well, they very well may be, but they also may not be either. They may be, you know, some serious insulin resistance waiting to happen and maybe something else going on there. So it's, it's not as simple as that. I, I just honestly, I think the, the best path is the simplest one, 
And yeah. the one that I think most everybody gets detached from is eat when you're hungry, eat till satisfied, drink a lot yeah. of water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. absolutely. And I think that's a mistake, yeah. You know, we've said all the things. You know, find your maybe your path that you can do for the rest of your life, not 60 days, you know, and then eat high-quality foods and, you know, try and do something good for the planet. And in the meanwhile, while you're doing that, if you get more greens and stuff, cool. But it's got to be something you can hold for the long haul. And yeah. That's what I try and stress in. That that's, a, that's very good advice right there. What can you do exactly. for the long haul? Because exactly. what, what, what you can do for a week or two or four weeks or a month or five months, if it's not something that makes you feel good, then it's a battle of attrition. And you're always going to lose any battle of attrition. It's just a matter of time. That's why when people have these addictive personalities and they're, they're just trying to resist certain things, like let me just resist this, it, it, it's not going to work for long. You know, it's always going to take is a moment of weakness, and you're going to fall right back into those bad, old bad habits. This last, um, we do 60-day challenges at my gym, but mm-hmm. the whole intent is to educate people. And one of the things is I won't sign somebody up if they do not agree that they, we have to work together to find a way that will work for them to eat and train and balance their body. And the path, their path is most important. And I said it's not my path it's yours and you must find you know and i'll work with you to do a healthy way to eat so that you be cleaner and stronger and feel more vibrant and stuff and we um really stress that and we had the biggest positive change we've ever had of you know we had you know we're averaging about 23 pounds of positive change over 60 days and every single one of them positive change by the way is muscle mass plus fat loss and awesome. Every single one of them, uh, when asked on my last body fat test when I would finish with them at 60 days, every single one of them said, "Oh yeah, this is not difficult at all. I, I will have no. I am not. I'm not even thinking it's a challenge because I am enjoying eating this. And you know, if that's still having a fish fry on Friday night or something like that, but generally eating really great and lots of greens and stuff the rest of the week, and he's cool with that. How's that work? No, I was just listening um, to a guy on a podcast. These guys do a lot of different studies, and this was actually for online marketing, but one thing that he had noticed. Now, we know in the fitness industry, what do they usually say, how long it takes to change a habit? It's always 21 days. Yeah, right, and three weeks. They yeah. did, there was this in-depth study that showed that that's bullshit. And what really happens is most people don't really change a habit especially people they, did, they had in this study, they had a group of people who did 21 days. They had another group that did a month, and then they had another group that did, I believe it was a, like 66 days. And they did this over a period, I think, of 10 years. Come to find out, actually it takes about 60 to 66 days to form a new habit, not 21. That's the reason why you see so many people doing 21-day challenges over and over and over. You pretty much, you probably do about three or four of them, and guess what happens? You've just done 66 days or 63 days, so you might as well just go ahead and allot yourself time. First of all, quit trying to put a number on everything and give yourself this time. Yeah. 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 First of all, I got to get this done by then or I'm not yeah. going to make it. And if you don't make yeah. it, then all of a sudden, well, I failed, you feel crushed. Well, F it. I'm just going to go back to eating my big well, box of Lucky you know, Charms. You know, the problem is, guys, is that when, so, when people – I like what you said, Sincere, about not giving yourself this time limit because I, I agree with that wholeheartedly because what happens is – 
when people say, oh, I'm going to try it for a year, and if it doesn't work out, then I'll, I'll just go do this. I was like, well, you know what? You might as well go do that now. Because <laughs> you, you've, already, you've already given yourself why, – why are you thinking about what you're going to do if it doesn't work out? That shouldn't even be on your mind, whether it's yeah. starting a business or a workout or a nutrition plan. You're already thinking it's you're not going to work in. out, so I'm going to go do this. It, it's, the attitude should be – like Jim Rohn, the success speaker, often said, you know, how, long, how long should it take for a baby to learn how to walk? And then the whole audience is silent. And then he screams out, however long it takes. You know? <laughs> exactly. It doesn't matter how long. You, you saw like you say like a baby doesn't learn to walk after like three weeks. You just give up. You like, know? Uh, you're doomed. Just sit your ass <laughs> let's, down. All right, let's get, yeah. some, let's get a wheelchair for this baby. Let's get the crutches. <laughs> you know? oh, yeah. Yeah. You're never going to see a baby in a wheelchair or in a crutches <laughs> unless there's like some health issue. You know what I mean? Because right. everyone else. You're going to be able to learn how to walk. <laughs> Wait a minute. Why is your baby in a wheelchair? I thought he was perfectly healthy. Oh, that little son of a bitch took too much to try to learn how to walk. He's, <laughs> he's worthless. We gave up after a week. It was too he's much worthless, trouble. man. He could just crawl around for the rest of his life, you know? <laughs> oh, man. I, I know we've kind of gone beyond our time. So, you know, we're going to bring John back, man. You got a ton of stories, first of all, and a lot of experiences with your clients. So, we'll definitely have to bring you back on the show. Absolutely. We'd love to have you on again. And, you know, there's, I think there's. There's certain people I, I think it would be cool to have as regulars like Kim Blackburn and John Hines, you know, people we know really well where we can have these kind of discussions and, and, and go off on these fun tangents a little bit. Right. And then, and, but, but also put out some good information as well. John, uh, what, are you, what, are you, what are you working on right now, John? What's, what's the big focus of your, of your daily activities right now? Well, one of the things that we were talking about is just simplifying things in life and I was trying to expand my business and take over the world and stuff, and I just realized it wasn't, I wasn't doing what I really wanted to do. I wasn't happy. And, right, um, right. I moved back to Madison from Chicago. I, um, another person took over my uh, Monkey Bike Gym in Chicago. I don't have any, you know, bills or anything in Chicago. I'm completely now in Madison focusing on just my one gym and then helping the licensees out, and I've simplified my life greatly. And awesome. Jesse and I, Jesse and I are super happy. We're up here, and our life's a lot simpler. And the stress has dropped massively for us, and that increases our quality of life a lot. And Indeed. That, that's been the biggest thing I've been working on. Honestly, is just increasing the quality of my life and reading and walking more and enjoying training and teaching again. I've missed that a lot, and it's really good to be back in it. So that's right. what I've been focusing on. Awesome, man. Good awesome. for you. Very cool. Thanks, thanks. And people can find out more about you at monkeybargym.com. That's all one word, monkeybargym. And if, if they don't remember that, just remember John Hines, H-I-N-D-S. Put that in Google. You're going to get a ton of information from John. Yep. Videos, articles, products. John, John makes a lot of – he designs a lot of really cool products as well, like the Power Wheel I use every week. That's one of my favorite ab yeah. exercises. And, I, and, I, and there's yeah. many other exercises you can do with it too. It's not like oh, the yeah. wheel – it's not like the wheel you get at, at Walmart that breaks the first time you Oh, my God. I snapped one of those things so easily. <laughs> yeah, man. yeah. Try, try doing a standing ab wheel rollout with that thing, man. It's going to pop it half. <laughs> and then, so John's device is way more sophisticated. You can strap your feet into it. You can work your hamstrings. You can do all kinds of different push-up exercises. Yep. Walking on your hands is a really cool drill. So that, that's a fun thing to check out at lifeline.com. Uh, the bands I'm a big fan of, as people know, I, I use the TNT cable quite a bit, especially for pressing and playing motions with it, it's, especially when you're traveling for a while. Because for me, if, if I go two weeks without pressing, overhead pressing, it's, a, it's ridiculous how much strength yeah. I lose. And what I like about John's TNT cable is I just throw it in my bag wherever I go, 
and let's say I'm in Australia for two weeks, I'll, I'll keep it out in the hotel room and I'll just do a couple sets throughout the day. Like whenever I come in the room for something, I'll bang out a set of five. And what this does is not only does it allow me to maintain strength, often you'll actually be stronger because yeah. the TNT cable pressing with, you can press with the TNT cable in the exact precise manner that you press two kettlebells mm-hmm. so that the carryover is very precise. And I love the force resistance aspect of it where meaning that with weights, the resistance gets easier the closer you get the lockout. With the band, it actually gets harder. So you have to keep pressing, pressing harder all the way to lockout. And when you go back to kettlebells, the weights just fly off to the top. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And then you can do a lot more than presses with that as well. You can attach it to the door. You can do pulling motions. You can do back motions. You can do leg motions. John's uh, power portable power jumper is awesome as well for adding resistance to Hindu squats, one of my favorite yeah. lower body exercises. You can use it for increasing your vertical jumps, as we talked about today. So I, I really encourage people to check out John's products, especially those of you that travel a lot or you want to have a nice home-based gym. Maybe you have an apartment in New York City or L.A. and you don't have a lot of space. You, you just get one or two kettlebells. You get some of John's, you get some of John's resistance bands. You follow Sincere and John's bodyweight drills. I mean, you got a nice little training system that will keep you busy for a while there. Yeah. I mean, they can just go to monkeybyegym.com. They can get our workouts. They can get our tra- training equipment. Um, yeah, but you know what's interesting, Mike, what you were just saying is that that's how that's how we met. Mike and I met as, as I think, either the power wheel or the TNT cable, but we were discussing how does it translate to actual pressing as far as poundage goes. And we, we came up with a, a pretty close to exact formula for a way how to match a TNT cable to a kettlebell press, correct? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like, I find that, I think I think for me it's, because it's going to vary with height, too. Like, someone who's shorter, it's going to be easier. Someone who's taller, like right. us, it's going to be harder, right, because of the, the bands right. are laying more. But I find at my height, six feet tall, that I think it was two green cables and one yellow, I found was the equivalent in difficulty of pressing two 88-pound kettlebells. And then uh, three greens, which I can't even do once. I don't even know what that's the equivalent of. That's the, that's the equivalent of a lot of weight because that's not going <laughs> that's, That ain't going yeah. anywhere. <laughs> that, that's so ridiculous. If those of you out there that don't, don't know, Mike's a freak on presses. And, and to try to press that much cable resistance is, is ridiculous. No, That's you so feel like you're going to break in half. And what's interesting also is, I mean, the pump you get from the rubber resistance, yeah. the band pressing, is ridiculous, yeah. man. I mean, your triceps feel like they're going to pop out. They just, they just blow up. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a great product to have for, for traveling a lot. It's also great if you're not traveling a lot and you just want something in your home gym, even if you go to the gym, just, just variety. You know, I like to use the cables. I like to use kettlebells, barbells, bodyweight stuff, you name it. I mean, if you have access to it and it's useful, yeah. why not use it? It's kind of my philosophy about the whole thing. Well, well thanks a lot for coming on, John. We're, we're definitely going to have you back again, man, absolutely. Because we thanks could, a lot, so, guys, for having me on. Thank you, man. And, uh, again, folks, check out monkeybargym.com, and we'll have John again soon. Thanks again, buddy. Thanks again, bro. All right. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Take care, man. Bye. And that's going to wrap up this week's episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we could talk for another hour, but we know what happens with the download right. size. The, the message has been sent loud and clear. If we, we go too it. long, you guys aren't listening. And, and I understand that because I sometimes look at podcast episodes that are two hours or so from other people, and I go, ah, forget it. So, so I understand that perfectly. 
So, uh, again, use coupon code LLA to get 10% off my supplements. You know which supplements I have. You know, which, you know, you know where to go for the best nutrition products. So I, won't have to re- I don't have to keep repeating that. You also get 30% off some serious badass body weight training videos. And keep your reviews coming in, too. I think we're at about 63 or 64 now. So remember, you get some freebies. You get an ethical bribe, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. You're going to get my hormone optimization lecture series, $50 value. And how about from you, Sincere? What are you also, giving away? A digital copy of the Wellness Code book, uh, $20 value right there. And there you go, folks. Keep those reviews coming. Stitcher and on iTunes. Those Stitcher reviews are just as important. Because, uh, by the way, Mike, Stitcher is now rolling out where they're going to come standard with a lot of new model cars coming out in the next year. So people will be able to have us on the go without having to necessarily bring their iPods or anything like that. It's already going to be in the car. So. Oh, awesome. Yeah, and for those of you folks, you know, we've gotten some people that are still talking about uh, sound quality issues. And I just wanted to address that real quick because, you know, I listen to the show on my MacBook all the time, and it sounds fine. And I listen, yeah, I, to think, it on, I listen to it on my iPhone. It sounds fine. You know, sometimes, to be honest, I, if, if I really want to listen to it in depth, I put headphones on just to make sure I have the sound quality. But with headphones on, it's definitely not an issue. In my car, it's definitely not an issue. So I think – I think those I'll, are the I'll, older episodes. People are just kind right, of going in right. on the show. And, and especially for the last probably, say, month and a half because we've changed the sound quality. We've enhanced it. We've upped the kilobits and everything like that. So I really okay. think those are from some of the older shows, which especially those – First, probably like mm, first month's worth of shows when we didn't have the condenser mics and we were doing it right, from our right. phones or from the head from the headpieces. So it's just a matter. It's an evolution, folks. But, you know, we're listening and we're definitely testing things out to make sure across the board that we can give you the best quality show as best as we can. And I've heard some top podcasts out there that are in the top 10 on iTunes that sound like ass. And, you know, but, <laughs> and, but honestly, I don't think those dudes even care. We care, and we're trying to fix what can be fixed. So at the end of the day, just always remember, we're not sitting in the studio. Mike's over in Vegas. I'm in Texas. And a lot of our guests are from everywhere, whether yeah. it's Cambodia or even Madison, Wisconsin. So like I said, we're always testing things out. So We're listening. We read these reviews. We modify stuff. I mean, we're not going to change the content. If you don't like that, we cuss or you know, we're dramatic about stuff. You know, we're going to be who we are. You know, that's, that's why I label it yeah. with PG. Yeah. PG-14, and I always, like, check off language whenever right. I'm uploading these, these podcasts. <laughs> Therefore, again, we're just only saying the words your kids say behind your back. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're not. We're not. I mean, if you're an overly sensitive person, yeah, I don't really know how you even got in front of any of our messages because I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't cater to that, honestly. I'm trying to avoid people like that listening to my message, but somehow you filter through then. No, you're probably not going to be the biggest fan, and that's okay. You know, there's plenty of other stuff out there for you to listen to. You know, we're going to be who we are, but we do listen to stuff such as you know, sometimes you guys are too repetitive. You know, that's good advice. Sometimes we are. We're, we're working on modifying that. Sound quality issues, we're going to work hard to keep improving that for yeah. those of you that are experiencing that. And things like that are useful that allow us to dial things in further because we've only been doing this since, what, May? May. And, uh, yeah, exactly. yeah, we haven't even done this for a year yet. And look, look at the – like a long list of great guests and shows we've had already. So, I mean, we're going to just keep getting better as this show goes along. That's something you can rest assured of. So here's the deal, folks. For those who listen to us and who stay with us, this is your show, and that's why we're listening to you, and we're going to try to make this the best show possible. So we're going to take your advice right now. Now, this show, because it's going on (laughs) too damn long. (laughs) Have a good one, everyone. Take care. All right, people. Take care.